All right. Uh, well, we're not going to make it through what I want to get through this morning, but that's all good. It's all good. I think what I want to do is I just want to start by reviewing, because we've been talking, we're, we're into this Sermon on the Mount series about what does it mean to live in the kingdom. And I think that this is really important for us, especially as we have a lot of new people coming in and among us, that we need to really lay a foundation. We want to say, this is what it looks like to, to walk in Jesus. And so... That's why we're diving into this. And so Jesus is the ultimate teacher. And what he, he laid out on the Sermon on the Mount was really the, the constitution of the Christian faith. And so I'm just going to do a little review with us of things that we talked about. I, I remember, well, I hope you remember, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about what it looks like to be radically obedient. We started at the end of the Sermon on the Mount because I wanted to start with the punchline. And the idea being that, you know what, if we don't have ourselves anchored, if we don't have ourselves with a foundation that's firm, we're not going to survive the storm. And the storm is coming. And many of you are in the storm. And so it's, it's kind of like we, we need to have the anchor right. And if we build on sand, we're not going to stand the test. And so that's why I, I talked about the idea of radical obedience. And then uh, we, we talked about the pinnacle point in the sermon. I mean, he starts with this amazing start with the Beatitudes. He ends with that amazing thing about the... The, the house built on the rock, but the pinnacle point is where he says, I want you to be perfect the way I'm perfect. And uh, talk about a little bar to rise up to, perfection. And we talked about the idea that nobody's perfect. But what we did say is that what God does allow us to do is to live in all of the light that he's given to us. And that as we live in that light and we're obedient to the light that he has given us, that allows us to, in, in, in a way, live in that perfection. And then as we live in that light, he gives us more of it. And then as we, we get more, we start to walk in that obedience. and We get more and more. And so God says, I want you to walk perfectly in all the light that I have given you. So even a new believer can do that. They can walk perfectly in all the light that they have. So that's cool. That's encouraging. And then we got into this idea of uh, a vibrant heart. And that's really the heart and the soul of what the kingdom lifestyle is. It's a heart that is inflamed with love for Jesus. It is, is saying, any, anytime Jesus said blessed is, the word blessed means vibrant. It's like there's a vibrancy that goes with that. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. There's a vibrancy that comes with being poor in spirit. It's kind of crazy. There's a vibrancy that comes with mourning, with being meek. And God says, it flows out of my heart right through you. And then last week we did. We talked about this first beatitude, the poverty of spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And the whole idea on this was that this is kind of a foundational beatitude that all the other seven then flow out of. If we understand what it means to be poor in spirit, the others really begin to make sense. And so that's my mission today <laughs> in 20 minutes is to cover three more. We're not going to make it. But what I do want us to do is I want us to again read, stand together and read these Beatitudes together. We're going to read in a different translation. Every week we're going to read in a different translation. But let's stand out of respect for the Lord and his word and we're just going to read this out loud together. So one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our our view, when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yes, pull up a seat. So we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. I want us to jump to verse 4, where he introduces us to the next one, where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And again, last week, uh, what we need to understand is how this beatitude flows out of the poor in spirit. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a snapshot of what we talked about last week. We talked about our legal position as believers, okay? Our legal position is how Jesus views us. It's all the things that he did for us, the things that uh, he prepared an inheritance for us. He justified us. He saved us. He redeemed us. You know, we're, we're ambassadors for the kingdom. We are the priesthood, the royal priesthood. And so Jesus declares that that's who we are. So that's our legal position. Our living condition is what our human experience is right down here on the planet right now. As human beings, we don't necessarily experience all of that legal position up there. And so the gap between what our current reality is and what is true about us is kind of this whole idea of what we call our spiritual lack. And that's our poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit is when we see all the wealth that Jesus has for us and we realize, I'm not there. I'm not experiencing all of that. And it creates this poverty of spirit and this almost like this urgency that goes with it that says, Jesus, I want more. I want all that you have to give to me. But I see where I'm at now and I just, I see my failure. I see my, my undoing. And out of that comes the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. And so you begin to see that this is a spiritual response to our understanding of how we are as a, as a poverty-stricken person who's not experiencing all that God has. But here's, here's the promise of mourning, you guys, that if we stick with it, in time, little by little, Jesus says, I'm going to touch you. I'm going to comfort you. And comfort happens over time, okay? Breakthrough, it happens over time. And so the differentiation between poor in spirit and, and mourning, really poor in spirit means it's, it's how we see ourselves, our spiritual condition, okay? We're, we're like, we see this poverty of spirit. But when we get to mourning, it speaks about how we feel about what we see. How do we feel about that gap? And, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of like painful. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but it's, it's like, man, I, I, I don't feel like I'm experiencing all that I want. And so there's, there's sort of this pain that comes with that. And at the same time, there's kind of a conviction that comes with it. 
I see the areas of my life that don't measure up and I want to change, I want to adjust, I want to, to move closer. So there's the pain factor, but in the same stretch, there's also a confidence in God. Uh, and we talked about that this morning, the idea of joy. There's a confidence that comes knowing that even though we don't measure up, that Jesus says, I still love you. And so that's beautiful. And it's, it's kind of a tension that we have to hold between these two things. The understanding that, yeah, there's painfulness, painful recognition of, of our lack, but yet there's a joyful anticipation of the fact that Jesus loves us and that he is bringing us along the path. He's bringing us along the journey. Jesus calls it mourning. Paul calls it godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And this is what's really interesting, is that um, the salvation he's talking about here, I mean, you could probably say, yeah, it is an actual coming to know Jesus, but I think Paul's talking to believers here, okay? And so I think the salvation here really is actually, he's saying a repentance that leads to salvation. It's a repentance that leads to a breakthrough in your life where you see the breakthrough in some of those areas that you've been struggling in. And you say, yes, okay, awesome. It's like he gives you that truth. And now he says, okay, here's the new level of truth I want you to walk in. It's, it's a breakthrough. And so I, I find illustrations helpful. So this, maybe this will help you. This is something I, I kind of processed myself this week. So I want a vibrant heart, right? That's my, my desire is I want to be inflamed with love for Jesus. And so I start reading the word, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict me, right? It's like, have you had this happen where you're reading the Word? It's like, mm, oh, man, that's too close to home, right? And so what does it do? It makes you recognize you got this gap. You see your spiritual poverty, right? And you say, I don't measure up to what I'm reading here. And so that's where it begins to start weighing in us. And then mourning comes out of that. This is the, this is the godly sorrow that Paul's talking about, right? We get this godly sorrow. It's like, oh, man, Jesus, I'm not there. I want to be there. And so maybe he points out a certain thing, and that causes us to then do what Paul says to repent, right? It brings us to a point of repentance where I say, my life doesn't line up. I'm going to do the 180. I'm going to do exactly what you're saying, God. I've been doing this. doesn't measure up. I want to follow you. I repent. And then at that point, God begins to break through with us. We begin to see changes in our heart, begin to see changes in our life. We experience that salvation in a sense. And that takes us back and it inflames our heart even more and it becomes a vibrant heart at a new level. And so you can see the cycle of how this works. These things all work together to grow us, to mature us. It's part of that process. And verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 7 actually is a picture of what breakthrough actually looks like. Paul shows us. He says, this is what godly sorrow has produced. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see what justice, to see justice done. And see, this is, this is what godly sorrow produces in us, man. We're, we get an earnestness, man. I want to go for this. I, I, there's an eagerness. Yes, I want to attain that. 
the indignation. You know, you kind of get mad at about the stupid stuff that you've been doing. It's like, I keep going this cycle of sin. I'm mad at that. What alarm. Sometimes God's word alarms you. When you realize you're, 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 you know, the spirit is very good at pointing out in certain areas in your life. And you can feel pretty good about yourself, pat yourself on the back. And all of a sudden he sounds the alarm and says, hello. Got a big one here. And all of a sudden it just dawns on you. And this idea of longing, man, we long to be, you know, more of what Jesus is like. I want to be conformed to his image. And the concern and the readiness, you know, all these things are part of this process that Paul says. This is part of this cycle of growth. So you don't want to short-circuit it. You don't want your spirit to grow dull in the process. See, it's easy to do that. You can get comfortable with where you are in your faith. You can get comfortable and just kind of like, well, you know, I'm covered by grace, so, you know, no big deal. You know, you just kind of justify a couple little things in your life that, that you know aren't measuring up. And what that does is that dulls your spirit. It doesn't draw you into his heart. And I think that some people can say, well, yeah, I'm just covered by grace. But you guys, that's a distorted grace me uh, message. Yes, we have God's grace, but that doesn't just give us a license to do whatever we want. He's calling us. He's purifying us. Press into God. Seek more of him. All right, so the next beatitude. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think it's so cool. The more I've gotten into this, the more I've been doing some reading on how these beatitudes correlate to each other, right? So poverty of spirit is kind of like the foundational one. We talked about that. That's kind of the, the penultimate one. But, but meekness is actually related to that in this way. Poverty of spirit is an awareness of our lack before God, right? The gap. And, and meekness is our awareness of our lack before people. an awareness of our lack before people. So sometimes it's helpful to understand a word by understanding what it's not. And, and here's what meekness is not. <laughs> meekness is not weakness, right? I mean, how, how many of you guys have ever thought like meekness is just like, oh, I'm timid, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just sort of this shy and reserved person, you know, I'm just kind of meek and it just, it sounds wimpy, doesn't it? Great picture right there. Love that. Being a doormat. But timidity, you guys, is actually something that is rooted in fear. We talked about that. It's rooted in the fear of man. If you're timid, you're afraid to be, you know, it's like, you know. And somebody who shies around, you know, just kind of like this, this wallflower kind of person, we can falsely label them as, as humble. Say, man, that's sure a humble person right there. Well, no, actually they're not. They're entrenched in the fear of man. They need to be released. They need to experience some freedom from that fear. We're talking about it's a theme this morning, right? But what is real meekness? Real meekness recognizes that we are not self-made. This is a great statue. I never, I never really looked at this statue before. You ever heard of the self-made man? It's, it's, a, it's a statue of a guy carving himself out of the stone. It's like, what a great picture. Well, uh, meekness understands 
that I'm not self-made. And in fact, I need wisdom from other people. I need you guys. We need each other. That's why I loved what was going on up here this morning as you were each imparting and taking your gift. Yeah. We're not self-contained. We need to have a humble and a teachable spirit. That's a meekness quality. It's also an attitude of gratitude. See, meekness recognizes our indebtedness to God for giving us what we have. Meekness says, God, I don't deserve any of this, and yet you lavished all this on me. My possessions, my, my wisdom and my intellect, right? My drive, my motivation, my finances, my calling, my career, my gifting, my family. He owns it all. It ain't mine. It ain't yours. It's his. And that begins to change some perspective. The problem is that sometimes we don't let our perspective change. And the danger is we start thinking things like, man, look what I have accomplished. Look at my degree. Look at my bank account. Check out my place. Like my car? You know, we start thinking these sorts of things. And, and Jesus kind of goes, excuse me, I don't think you're thinking correctly. Because the reality is, I have entrusted this to you. And I want you to carry it as though it belongs to me. So be tender with people. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. Carry the gift with gratitude. And we all know that that goes against our human nature, does it not? We tend to just, we have this deal about, man, I earned this. I worked hard for this. And God says, yeah, absolutely. Your dedication certainly played into it, but there's a lot bigger story here. I actually gave you way more than you deserve. And where this whole misunderstanding of meekness, I think, really gets revealed for us as followers of Jesus, you want to know where it really gets revealed? Brace for it. Tithing. Jesus made it pretty darn clear there's a powerful connection between our money and our heart. He said where your heart is... No, where your treasure is, right, there your heart will be also. And so the, this whole money thing gets into a really tough area, you know, and um, it's, it's one of those things that we, we kind of, we do. We get this idea that, man, I've earned all this stuff, and, and so I, I see my budget, and, and God, it's actually kind of painful to think about giving you 10% of that because I got bills. I got responsibilities. I got stuff. Well, apparently we're among good friends. Uh, I was doing a little re research on this. In 2016, a whole bunch of organizations did some research on this whole idea of what tithing is. It says tithers only make up 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. In other words, most people in a congregation, 10 to 25% actually tithe regularly. Would you be interested to know how we do on that scope? We fit right into the norm. 
on the low side. 10% of us. So we fit right into the norm. Nationwide, only 5% of Americans tithe. 80% of us, four out of five, only give 2%. Christians are giving at about an average of 2.5% of the income. During the Great Depression, we gave 3.3%. Today, 25 so for me, what this does is it, it makes me realize we need to revisit this quality of meekness. And I'm here to tell you, man, as a church in, in, in America today, I, I don't, if that's our national average, we're doing a schlock job of, of teaching about this. And it's one of the scariest topics for anybody to teach on. Money. All they want is money. I don't want money. Uh, well, actually, I take that back. <laughs> Julie and I have been in a mission organization for 36 years. We have lived on financial support for 36 years. We have been recipients of a lot of people's generosity for a lot of years. And so I'm here to tell you, man, we have come to really appreciate people who have a heart to give. And so, in a sense, I feel like maybe I can talk about this as a person who's received a lot. Because, you see... Even in the Old Testament, the Levites had to tithe on their tithe. They, they, their pay was the tithe, right? I mean, that's how they got their money. And then God said, you're not off the hook. You got to tithe out of what's tithed. And so Julie and I are tithing on the tithe, if that makes sense. And what we have learned over the years is that we, the more generous we get with God, the more generous he gets with us. I'm here to tell you, man, our... Our ministry account balance is at the highest level it's ever been in our 36 years. And it's not because I'm an awesome fundraiser. It's because God has lavished on us way more than we deserve. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm coming to you as a fellow contributor to the kingdom of God, and I'm just saying, let's be meek here. Let's understand what meekness is. It's saying, God, I don't deserve any of this, and yet you have lavished on me. And as an act of worship, I want to give back to you what's already yours. It ain't mine. Can I just challenge us with that thought? Dare you. God, in fact, even lays it out. He says, test me now in this. It's one of the few areas in the Bible where God invites us to test him. It's like, check it out, man. See what happens. I dare you. Guys, as we move forward in what God is calling us to, I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out. I want us to lavish on the king what he has lavished on us. And I think that's about where we're going to end. I wanted to go on much further. But you guys, uh, let me just say this. That wasn't where I intended to end. Trust me. That was not where I intended to end. But I, I think that maybe, maybe it's the Holy Spirit doing something here. There's a blessing. There's a joy. He loves a cheerful giver. And if you're not cheerful, don't give. Because it's not going to do you any good. It's not going to earn brownie points, Okay. He wants it to come out of a heart. It's, it's a heart response to Jesus.
It's like, oh my gosh, God, I don't deserve any of this. You've been so good. So as we, as we wrap this up this morning, thank you guys for praying back there. I mean, that was awesome. That was so good. That was so good. And I would encourage you, you know, if, if you still want some prayer, uh, I want to make that available. So, Susie, if we got some folks and you guys want to be available up front, uh, again, we're just going to allow some time up here, five minutes or so. But what's going to happen next is that we're going to go have some lunch together. And then we're going to come back in here and we're going to set the stage for what Jesus is going to do next Saturday. I hope you got on your calendar, 9.30 a.m. next Saturday. Thou shalt not miss it, okay? Don't miss out. Seriously. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. And, and we're going to have a great time. And Cindy, after lunch, is going to come up and talk to us a little bit about the lay of the land and how that's going to work. Uh, we've got the maps all subdivided now, so we got it down to bite-sized chunks in the residential areas. So it's going to be really cool. So, but anyway, we're going we're to wrap up now. And, and again, if you'd like some prayer, these guys are awesome. They're available. Uh, but if you've got kids, grab those. We're going to start serving lunch out here probably in then about five, ten minutes. So let me just pray for us. Jesus, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you that you modeled well what it means to give sacrificially. God, you laid down all your riches and you came down and you became one of us and you sacrificed yourself. That is lavish love and that is ultimate sacrifice. Meekness on display. God, thank you for this time and we love you. We're excited about what you're going to do here and we just give it back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.